in the wonderful, precious name of Jesus. Amen. Wave or greet somebody near you this morning. Can you hear me now? Good. How many of you guys remember that commercial? That one? Yeah. Well, welcome to the Journey Church, everybody. We're so excited you're here joining us in person and online. A couple announcements for you guys. Um, oh, oh, wait, you're taking me with you. I know, I know we're friends, Rob, but come on. No, <laughs> um, so the announcements that I have for you is this, is um, just a reminder that the last Sunday in February, we're going to be having our annual church business meeting, and so um, that'll be right after Sunday service, and we'll be going over what we've done in the last year, and what our future plans are, and everything, and so if you are a member, please make sure to join us that day, and you're welcome to join us even if you aren't an official member as well. And then um, the next announcement is, speaking of that, um, you will notice that on the little table before you go out the two double doors if you have done any giving there should be your giving statements that are there so if you could look for those and that way we don't have to waste a stamp and mail it to you <laughs> that would be awesome so make sure to check that out on your way out and then i think that is all the <coughs> excuse me all the announcements that we have um so we're just going to move into our time of tithes and offerings. I don't know if we have someone receiving tithes. Awesome. And so um, for those of you that are online, there's a couple different ways that you can give. You can text to give. You can go to the website. You can give here at the church um, or even by mail. And I was just trying to think, you know, 
every week I'm trying to come up with different things to say to you guys about tithing. And I was talking with Miss Shannon over here, and she was like, well, why don't you just tell them in a different language? <laughs> and I was like, I like your style. And so I'm just going to tell you now in Spanish. <clears throat> Let's see if I can not butcher this. You ready? <clears throat> Vamos a dar nuestros diezmo. Give your tithes. <laughs> Did it sound okay? Oh, good. Okay. For those of you that speak Spanish, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> no, but we're just going to keep it simple this morning that we want to be faithful and give back to God what he's given to us. So let's go ahead and pray for our tithes and offerings. Lord, we thank you so much, God, that you continue to provide for us, Lord. And we just ask that um, whatever is given today would go out and reach the world and tell them about who you are and what you did for us. Lord, we love you and we are so grateful for all the many ways that you bless us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. we're on okay can you hear me oh yeah you can Uh, open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 31 you know we've been doing virtues and we're also working on memory verses and Rob didn't tell me what memory verse it was so I got my own And so you guys, I have a memory verse for you guys that you're going to like. It's John 11:35. Jesus wept. That's it. Um, That's all you got to remember. And that's actually going to be part of our message today. Uh, Let's pray over the word. Lord, we thank you for your word that's a constant guide to our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you will speak to us through your word. And we thank you for your gift to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Guys, so in, uh, I, in Deuteronomy 31, verses 6 through 7, this is what was going on. Uh, Moses is now old. And he is no longer going to go with the Jewish people. And Joshua is going to be in charge. So you imagine being Joshua, right? Uh, there's over a million people. And all you got to do is make sure those million people have food and water and everything they need. 
and they've already uh, uh, are a little pr uh, prone to complaining. And so, and and Moses is saying to you, I'm going to give you these over a million people to take care of. You're on your own. Good luck. Uh, but, so he gives them these words. This is what he has to say to them in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 31, verses 6 and 7. He says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Then Moses called to Joshua and said to him in the sight of all of Israel, Be strong and courageous. For you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you shall give it to them as an inheritance. Now you remember that Joshua was one of the spies, right? And he came back and he, what did he say about the people who were in the land? They're big. That's what he was saying. The people who live there, they're big. And there's lots of them, right? So now you're Joshua. You're going to lead the Jewish people into the land. And you're the, you're the one, one of the guys who said, we should go. And now Moses is telling you, good luck. Uh, God go with you uh, because I'm not. And I don't know about you. Have you ever been in charge of a group of people? Well, I used to teach special ed and at the high school. And I would regularly take my class to the beach. And when I took my class to the beach, the point was to try to teach them how to surf. And um, the very first time I went and talked to my principal about what I wanted to do, he was like, you're going to take 15 kids in special ed to the beach. Um, and a lot of those kids don't know how to swim, and you're going to try to teach them how to surf. And I was like, yep, that's my plan. <laughs> he just kind of scratched his head. I was, I was young at the time, and I know he was looking at me thinking, uh, you don't even know what you're getting into. And, and I had lots of different kinds of kids. Um, one kid I had was a kid named Micah Ruprecht, who still lives here in town. And Micah has a, uh, a syndrome called Williams Syndrome. Have you heard of Williams Syndrome? Uh, well, what it is, it, one of the characteristics of kids with Williams Syndrome is that they're overly friendly. That is a great, that's a great uh, thing to have, isn't it? So this is what Micah, he was always late to my class every morning. And he, he had just come to our school. And I'm like, I, I knew his mom dropped him off early because I called her and said, Jan, you know, Mike is late to my class every morning. And she said, oh, yeah, he's probably out in the hall talking to people. Well, he just got to the school. I'm like, who does he know? You know, who's he talking to? So I, I got to school early, and I went out in the front of school. And here's Micah. He's greeting everybody as they come in the school. Everybody. He doesn't know anybody. <laughs> but he's there. He's going to greet everybody. Right? And so these, are, and Micah, one of the things with Williams syndrome, you also lose bowel and bladder control. And you have some other issues that are kind of tough ones. And so on 
on our way to the beach, I knew that Micah had some issues with that. And so I had told Micah, if you ever need to pull over, just, you know, um, tell me you need to pull over. And so we were driving, and all of a sudden Micah uh, puts up his hand in the back of the van. <laughs> I'm like, Micah, we're not in class. What, what do you need? He goes, I need to pull over. And I was like, okay, as soon as there's a pullover, I'll pull over. And so I'm, I'm looking, we're on the Arctic Circle. We haven't even gone very far. And, we're, and I'm looking for a place to pull over, finally find a turnout, pull over. And I jump up and go over to get Micah. And he looks at me and goes, too late. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is a great start to this tr beach trip we're going on. I wonder how the rest of this trip is going. So for all of us, there are times when we get ourselves into things that uh, we know what Joshua was, was feeling. He was in over his head. And I think the very first time I took the kids, I was definitely a little over my head. So what do you think the virtue that we're going to be talking about today is from the verse that we read? Good. Courage. Courage. Um, how many of you have had a moment where you wished you had a little more? <laughs> Most of us, right? Uh, there's always been a time when, <laughs> when you wished that you had a little more courage, right? Um, my wife was giving birth to a, our first child, and we were in um, Bort, Australia. It's a tiny little town. Uh, probably not many Americans have ever been born there, but our son was going to be born there. And so the doctor had put me in charge of the oxygen mask or whatever it was that went over my wife's face in between contractions. Now, being a dad for the first time, <laughs> I didn't really know what I was doing. There was no training classes. There were no Lamaze classes. There were no any classes, right? And so I, I'm not quite sure when you put this oxygen mask on and when you take it off. I'm not quite sure my timing in that. And all of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, about eight hours into it, uh, Suze was letting out some loud noise, like screams, you know? And, and I was like, where? I must not be doing this oxygen right, you know? She's screaming and... Uh, and I'm, we have a lady doctor, and she is English, and she says very little. And so the whole time I'm wondering, I'm doing something wrong. And then about three hours later, um, Steve's head crowns, and he's born. And I'm like jumping up and down, but the doctor is like totally like saying nothing. And I'm like... Ooh, there must be something wrong. You know, I wonder if something's wrong. I mean, it was the first baby I'd ever seen come out, and I wasn't quite sure how they were supposed to look. Um, Steve looked messy, you know, and so the doctor handed him to me, and, and I'm looking at him, and I'm checking all his parts, making sure they're there, because I'm wondering why she's not as happy as I am. And Sue's really happy, but the doctor is totally not, not even smiling. And I'm like, oh, man, I wonder if there's something wrong. And at that moment, it kind of hit me. You have fear that comes across you, right, that kind of hits you in a wave. 
And this wave of fear hit me like something's wrong with my son. And there was nothing wrong with him. He was perfect. That was just how this doctor delivered babies. I was like, man, you can be a little more enthusiastic, can't you? <laughs> so, at, but at that moment, there was, I had fear that just came upon me, you know, something's wrong. And I, and I, don't, I don't know if I can fix it. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at 10 foundation stones of courage, okay? And we're going to do it in two different ways. Um, one way we're going to, and this is because I was a teacher, I'm going to ask you questions and I'm going to expect you to respond back to me, okay? So that, this isn't just me sitting up here talking. This is me asking you a question and you telling me the answer, all right? Okay, so I want you to think about who would you pick in the Bible if you were going to talk about courage? Yeah, that was my first thought for sure. That was my first thought. My very first thought was David, yeah. Um, but then I started thinking some other thoughts and I started praying about it. I thought, David, yeah, he's a good one, but I didn't pick David. Yeah, well, that was my next thought. Uh, but I, I really thought, well, I don't want to pick Jesus because for us, we're going, well, he's actually God. And so no wonder he had some courage, right? Um, the rest of us are just people. So then I picked, uh, I'm going to go over Jesus and his foundation, Stones of Courage. And then I'm going to go over Lilas Trotter and her foundations of courage. Any of you know who Lilas Trotter is? That's all right. I didn't know either before I looked her up. You'll find out. She's amazing. She is amazing. She's, she's got courage. And that's why we're going to look at her. Okay, the very first foundation stone of courage, I want you to turn in your Bible to John uh, chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. And then I need a volunteer to read that. Remember, you guys are a class. This is not me sitting here talking to you. This is you participating. So who wants to read John 5, 31 and 32? Okay, you know what happens in a class and no one volunteers. Okay, okay, okay. read it for us, thanks. Now, you've got to remember, this is Jesus saying this, right? This is what Jesus said about himself. If I alone bear witness of myself, my testimony is not true. That's what Jesus was saying about himself. Wow. That makes me want to be careful about what I say about myself. And he says, that, but there is another one who bears witness of me, and I know the testimony which he bears of me is true. So the number one foundation stone of confidence is that you have a God confidence and not self-confidence. You get that? Your, your confidence is in God, it's not in yourself. 
And there's a huge difference, right? Because if you look at yourself, you see your own frailty, don't you? Most of us, we know the part of us that's fragile, uh, the part of us that screws up. But when we look at God and we look at him, we say, this is what he can do through me. And now does that give you a different look of yourself? It's what he can do through you. And Jesus saw that. I mean, Jesus said, I, I don't have confidence even in my own testimony, but I have confidence in my Father's testimony of me. Wow. That says something, doesn't it? So, okay, so the very first foundation stone is God confidence, not self-confidence. Okay? Then turn your Bibles to Matthew 4, uh, verse 4. Who would like to read that one? Go ahead. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay, so people who have courage, their convictions come from God, God's word, and not their own words. Their conviction comes from God's word and not their own words. Have you ever said something, and after you said it, you said, well, I'm not really sure about that. Have you ever said something like that to, to a group of people? You say it, you think it, you believe that it's true, but after you say it, you go, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that, right? I was talking to a group of boys that I was coaching. We had won two state championships in cross country, and I had given them... Uh, information about the teams we were going to be competing against the next year. And it had times on it, how fast they ran the mile, how fast they ran the two mile, how, how fast they had run the three mile course the year before. And it had runner one through seven for three different teams and had all their times. And I had my team there in May and I was giving them their championship rings from the year before and I had them look at it and I said guys go ahead and pick the team who's going to win the state championship next year and then pick the runner up and then pick the team who will finish third so they did and and after they picked all the teams they, they recognized their own times and they said coach we're going to finish third next year and I was like oh no you're not and I said, actually, you're going to run away from it. You will, you will beat them all. And then later th that night when I went home, I said to myself, oh, I wonder if I should have said that to them. Um, I believed in them. What I was telling them is, I believe in you. And what I said to them, although they're faster than we are, they don't have the heart that you guys have. And they don't have the desire that you guys have. And so you guys will win. That year, um, our, the last year I coached uh, that team, uh, you, you have to, when you run cross country, it's your top five scorers, your top five guys. You run seven guys, but your top five guys count. And our number, and um, I don't know if you've seen, there's a movie about a team called McFarland. And uh, they were in our division. 
and they were running against us and they were picked to be the, they had won, uh, I think, something like 12 state championships by then. And so they were picked to win and our number five guy ended up uh, beating their number one guy to the line. So we put five guys in front of their whole uh, first five guys. And, and now the reason I had, I had the confidence to say that to them you guys will win this and you're gonna win easily over everyone is because of this is I I've been praying for these guys for four years they had been with me from the time they were freshmen and when they were freshmen they were a bunch of knuckleheads um, we were in first place going into league finals and then it was the year we had the fire this was in 2000 I don't know, two, it was 2003 or something like that. And, and we had a fire and so we didn't have school. Everybody went with their families and went everywhere. And so uh, we didn't see each other for nearly three weeks. And Chad, my son, was with me, so he was training. <laughs> he was doing fine. But the other guys, I don't think they trained a day. Uh, we went from first to seventh place in league at league finals because nobody trained. So like I said, they were a bunch of knuckleheads. But, but I had them for four years and during the four years we got a chance to study God's word together and a lot of them came to faith in Christ. And so I believed in them. I saw their hearts. I saw what was inside of them and I knew what they had. And um, so the next one, the next cornerstone, uh, turn to John 12:50. And who would like to read John 12:50 to us? Okay, go ahead, Elise. Mm -hmm. So this is what we know about people who develop courage, is that they normally are people of integrity. Jesus also in 519 also said, I only do the things that I see the Father doing, right? So we knew that Jesus had integrity because he only said the things that the Father wanted him to say and he only did the things that he saw the Father doing. Now let's look at uh, the, so having integrity, doing what is right when nobody else is watching, right? Doing what is right when nobody else is watching. I uh, had this kid who ran for me and he used to always, well, one time we're at Long Beach Millican and we're running in a big uh, invitational. And this kid, I knew what he did. When we go for runs, he would always find places to hide and hide in the bushes until we'd finish our run and then he'd come running in. I knew he wasn't running. Uh, and, and so his mom came to me one day and said, you know, I'm really concerned about Matt. He always throws up at the end of a race. And I said, well, if he actually had practiced when he was at practice, he probably wouldn't do that. Because she was telling me he has a gag reflex and he had all these physical problems. I'm going, no, he actually doesn't run when we're running. 
And so then during the race, he tries to run really hard. And so we're at Long Beach Millican. We, they have all these people there. There's probably a thousand people there watching the race. And they have these, one of the few times I've ever seen cheerleaders at a cross country race. Long Beach Millican had all their cheerleaders lined up in the finishing shoot cheering for the guys who come through. Well, Matt comes running through and as he's running by, he pukes on all the Long Beach Millican cheerleaders. And, and I'm like, oh, good shot, Matt, that a boy. <laughs> but here's the problem, Matt didn't have integrity. When we were doing things, he hid in the bushes. So ne needless to say, when we went and ran, when he, when he wanted to run hard, he didn't have a good conclusion to that because he didn't have integrity. He didn't do what he was supposed to be doing. So hiding in the bushes is not a good thing to do. Uh, the fourth one, let's look at, Ma at Matthew 12:34. Who would like to read that one? Go ahead, Jess. Mm. Boy, that wasn't a kind word, was it? Um, and so Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, right? And he's why does he say that to them? Yeah, they're being hypocrites. They're asking the regular people to give and sacrifice while they make money off what the regular people are doing. And they're using uh, God's house as a place of business for them rather than as a place of worship. And so um, here's what Jesus wasn't worried about doing. He wasn't worried about being culturally correct. People who have courage are not worried about just always doing what the culture believes is right. Right? Think of all the times when Jesus did things that the Pharisees didn't like. When was another time that he did something that the Pharisees didn't like? Yeah, he healed on the Sabbath. They were upset about that. And here's what they were really upset about. They were upset because he could do it and they couldn't. I mean, if you want to know what they were upset about, that's what they were upset about. They were jealous of him. But what about in our culture? Is our culture going to move to a place where you are going to have to have courage? Have you thought about this? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I prayed about this a lot and I don't know what I'm going to do. You guys know what the Hyde Amendment is? Okay, the Hyde Amendment is an amendment that we have as protection as taxpayers that they cannot use our federal funds for aborting children. And that is going to come under attack. And it will probably be uh, shot out, thrown out. And they will probably start using our funds, our federal taxes, for aborting children. And when they do that, what are you going to do? What will you do? I don't know what I'm going to do. 
but I prayed about it a lot. And I said to my kids, you know, if I ever end up in jail for not paying my taxes, let me tell you why. Because I will not support abortion. I will not. And I will not pay my federal taxes if they're using my federal taxes for aborting babies. I won't do it. And I know, and that scares me. I have to tell you, that, puts, that scares me a little bit. Knowing what the IRS can do, that's a little frightening, right? So some, sometimes having courage is like this. Sometimes you have a one-time moment of courage, right? Have you ever done that where the Lord just gave you courage to do something and you did something and after you did it, you went, wow, I didn't know how I did that, right? So I call that a one-time shot of courage that the Holy Spirit just feeds it into you and you just have it. But you think about Jesus. Is that the kind of courage that he had, that one shot? courage or did he have that kind of courage that's every day right now that's a different kind of courage right uh, the boys in I, I can remember a group of boys who came and they came to our um, parent meeting uh, because if you were a freshman and you were going to come out for cross country you had to come out with your parents you had to come because I wanted to hear I wanted to make sure you knew what you were getting into. Because this is what the kids were telling each other. You know, if you sign up for cross country, you get to go to Hawaii. And that's what the kids told each other. And that was true. But you had to come to so many summer workouts and you had to be at our fundraisers where we went out and cut wood and loaded wood and sold it. And that's how we went to Hawaii. But what I wanted especially the boys, not so much the girls, and I'll tell you about that later, um, but especially the boys, because uh, the boys who are seniors, this is what their October workout might look like. Uh, do a two-mile warm-up, run up Snow Summit, run up the wall, take the chair down, run a mile under six minutes, run up the wall, take the chair down, run a mile under 540 run up the wall, take the chair down, run a mile under 530. Run up the wall and do a 10 mile run. And then we go over to Miles Fulton House and play uh, volleyball for three hours for fun. And then I have to tell them at the end of that three hours, I'm beat guys, you guys need to go home because they'd still be saying to me, coach, we still haven't beat you and Mr. Fulton, stay here, we're gonna beat you. <laughs> and they would still be playing. And so when I told some of the freshman boys what we did for running, they'd come from the junior high where they would go out for a two-mile run for a workout, and that would be the workout. And so when I told the freshman boys what we did for workouts, what do you think they were sitting there thinking? Don't think I'm going to run cross-country. That's what they were thinking. Uh, but I told them, guys, look, you don't do that run as a freshman. That's what you do as a junior or senior boy if you're one of the top guys. And you get to do those workouts. You earn the right to do those workouts. So I knew for the boys, what I was trying to build in them is courage. Um, but I did it to, we did it to them gradually. Well, do you think with us courage is built? Or were you just born with it? What do you think? 
And who builds it in you? I think the Holy Spirit builds courage in us. And I don't think it all comes at one time. I think it comes to us as we get closer and closer to the Father, that He builds courage in us. Because He's the source of courage, right? And so then the next thing uh, is compassion. Do you think compassion is something that's necessary for courage? I think it actually is. Because have you ever thought where the word encourage, God gives you courage so you can encourage. He doesn't just give you courage so that you have it. You get that? He gives us courage so that we encourage. And I would later say to our varsity boys, when we cross that line, we're going to run out and we're going to cheer every kid in who runs. Every kid, I don't care what team he's on. If he's running three miles, uh, he has some courage and we're going to cheer him on. Because I was saying, if all you do is run to get fast for just yourself, so what? I mean, Ryan, my son, wanted to be real fast. And I used to say to him, if you run and you're fast, but you're a jerk, you're just a fast jerk. <laughs> you know, so what? You know, but if you're slow, but you're a great kid, you're a great kid. And I know who I'd rather coach. And so um, compassion. Think about, somebody share with me, when can you think of a moment that Jesus had great compassion? What was that? Yeah, with the, when he touched the lepers. Because, Brian, when he touched the lepers, they were considered unclean. And he touches them, now he's unclean, right? But Jesus doesn't care about that. Uh, think about this. Um, did Jesus have compassion when he saw what happened with Lazarus? Think about that story, right? What did he do? Yep. Charmaine, he wept. And, and it, it doesn't just say that he just wept. It said that he actually uh, felt really bad after when, they, when Mary said to him, if you had been here, Lord, that, this would never have happened. And Jesus was grieving over the fact that he wasn't there, right? So he had this great compassion for people. When was another time where you see Jesus' compassion? Yeah, yeah Jeff, when he was dying on the cross, what happened? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That was one moment. And we're going to get to that moment in a minute. So compassion is huge. And, and we're not going to read all these because I'm going to run. I'm not, not even going to get to Lila's trotter today at the rate I'm going. Um, but that's in um, John 11, verses 32 through 44. So if you want it, we're not maybe going to read all these because I'm not going to make it through this. Um, the sixth cornerstone is objectivity. Objectivity. What do you think objectivity, how does that build courage? What does it mean if you're objective? Yeah, you're assessing what's going on. 
And Bobby, I think it means you're assessing it and that you actually see it clearly. You see it for what it is. Um, when you think of Jesus seeing things clearly, what do you think of? What did he see and understand clearly? Yeah, he saw, saw the heart of men, Shannon. What did he know that he had to do because of the heart of men? Yeah, he knew that his destiny was the cross. Boy, that is tough to be clear on, isn't it? And when we see him in the garden, what happened? He said, Father, if there be any other way, take this cup from me. Because this is too hard. And that was the humanness of him, right? And, and he was thinking about, this is too hard. What is coming is too hard. Wow. He saw it clearly. How about is encouraged when you see it clearly and you do it anyway? You see it clearly, but you do it anyway. That is hard. That is hard. We are singing a song about new wine, right? How do you get new wine? You've got to crush the grapes. So we're singing a song about creating new wine. We're saying to God, it's okay, come and crush me to make new wine. Ooh, that's a heavy thought. Come and crush me so that I can be new. So the old man dies, so the new man lives. Um, it's tough to see things clearly in this world, isn't it? Um, do you see what's happening in our world? You know, if you listen to preachers, um, I, I listen to stuff all, all the time, right? I listen to Al Mohler, the briefing. You guys ever listen to Al Mohler, the briefing? Or um, the world and everything in it. These are all kind of 20 to half an hour little Christian look at the world. That's what it is. And Albert Moeller's a pretty neat guy to listen to. So the briefing, if you ever, he helps you uh, get kind of a picture of the world. Uh, the next thing is, uh, how about strength in times of trial? Is that what courage is? Strength in times of trial? We've all had times of trial, haven't we? We have a member of our church who was up in an airplane and went out of the airplane and her parachute didn't open. And then she hit the ground without it opening. And then she survived that. And, and she serves in our children's ministry. Now that was a time of trial. When you jump out of an airplane and that parachute doesn't open, I don't know about you, but I would be praying in tongues very quickly. <laughs> um, and so we're all going to face times of trial, aren't we? And those kinds, times of trial are going to come. Think about Jesus. When, and, and Jeff already brought it up. Jesus' time of trial on the cross. 
Now you think about this time on the cross. Ooh, it's hard to think about, isn't it? Um, as Jesus hung on the cross, he was drenched in our sin, wasn't he? And when he had gone into um, Jerusalem in that last week, he knew when he went in, it's kind of like being on a water slide. Have you ever been on the water slide in Las Vegas called the bomber chute? Well, you, you go up about 10 stories, and then you get in this chute, and then they just open the trap door, and you go, Phoom! and you go about four stories straight down without even touching the slide. And then it starts flattening out. Have you guys been in that? And so in that shoot, I thought it would be kind of fun to go down head first. <laughs> so when I got in there, I, I, I got myself into a handstand. And the guy who was out, because I thought, this is going to be cool, like Superman, you know, just whoo. And I got into a handstand, and the guy who was working the machine, or working on the slide, is yelling at me, you can't do that, you know, you can't do that. And I'm, I'm thinking, oh, come on, this is going to be great. Just hit the chute, you know, I'll be down in a second. But he, he wouldn't let me do it. And so he made me uh, turn around and stand there. He thought, this guy's an idiot. I'm not going to let him go down like this. Um, but, but you think about this. So there are moments in our life when, you, when you're in the regular one at there, when they, you go down, once you start going, you're gone. You're not going to hold on. You're not going to stop yourself. You're going. Well, for Jesus, he knew once he went into Jerusalem that he was going. And that it was going to be um, a moment in eternity that no one's ever seen and will never see again. He was hanging on that cross, drenched in our sin. And as he was drenched in the sin, there was a moment he cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? And to me, the reason that showed courage is Jesus was pursuing the Father, even drenched in our sin. How could he do that? You know, how was that possible? That the instant in eternity, the only moment in eternity when Jesus and the Father were not one was that moment. And during that moment, he was still pursuing the Father. Strength in times of trial. How about this one? Uh, character over comfort. In the world that we live in, uh, this world is constantly trying to push us towards comfort. And yet God is not so concerned with our comfort as he is our character. And think of a time, when can you think of a time where Jesus wasn't worried? He even said something to a scribe. A scribe said, uh, I, I'll follow you wherever you go. And what was Jesus' response to that man? Yeah, at least. The birds of the air have nests, foxes have a hole, but the Son of Man has no play to, place to lay his head. That was his response. And you think about us. We're followers of Christ. That means we follow him to be like him. 
and yet our world is constantly pushing us towards our own comfort. Trying to say, look, your comfort is the most important thing, and it's not. Because we want to be like him, right? That's our goal, to be like him. Character over comfort. We have to uh, get to a place, when you run, and you run as hard as the boys ran on my team, I would tell them, guys, we have to push to a place of discomfort. If you don't push to a place of discomfort, you will never be great. And you will never be state champions. Because there's other people who are willing to push way into discomfort. And so, and the boy said, you know, coach, uh, we're playing a sport where we're trying to make ourselves as uncomfortable as we can get. I was like, yep, that's what we're doing. And we're going, it's a good thing we go to Hawaii. Um, so Jesus often, you think of his life, uh, they walked everywhere. You know, he didn't have a horse. He didn't have a donkey. And so wherever they went, they walked. Well, just when it says in the Bible that they went from here to there, you know, that a lot, a lot of times like a 30-mile walk. And it just says they walked. And you're like, oh, they just walked. Yeah. Go out and walk for 30 miles and see how you do. Um, so they, he wasn't concerned about his comfort. Um, how about this? Em, um, embracing the unknown because of a willingness to be led by the Spirit. Uh, embracing the unknown. Did Jesus do that? Did he embrace the unknown? That moment on the cross when he was going to go and not be with the Father, think about that. From eternity, him and the Father had always been one. And he knew that that moment was going to come. That's why he sweat giant drops of blood. Because he didn't know what that moment would be like. Because he didn't know sin. And because he didn't know sin, he didn't know what the result of sin would be which is what happens to us and what happens to man. You know, in James it says, sin brings forth death. Sin brings forth spiritual death. That's what it does. And so Jesus was wondering, I'm sure, imagine being Jesus, you're going to the cross, you know that you're going to take the sins of the world on, wouldn't you be thinking, how's this going to feel? How is this going to be? You know, we have little things that happen to us that make us wonder what's going to happen to us. I'm not going to get to Lila Strada for sure. Um, that'll be another day. But uh, when I was young, I had a muscle in between my teeth, and they put braces on, and when they took them off, that muscle just sprung my teeth apart. And then they put the braces back on for another year, and then they took them off, and that muscle sprung my teeth apart. So the doctor said, only one way to get rid of that, cut it out. I'm like, cut out my gum? <laughs> that doesn't sound fun. And so my sisters had to have it done as well. We all had this hall muscle that was right in between our teeth that was a pain. And so um, I was the first one to go in and get it done. And my dentist, who was a great dentist, he said this to me. He always said this to me, and he was always right. He always said, this is not going to hurt very much. That's what he always said to me. This is not going to hurt very much. 
I always wondered what is very much meant, but <laughs> it, it meant not very much. And so this time before he gave me the shot, he looked right in my eyes and he said, this is going to hurt. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> you know, like, oh. I was young. I was like, oh, wow. This, he, he told me ahead of time. I wish he hadn't said that. You know, and he gave me the shot straight into my gum, not on an angle, not on a side, but straight in. And I was like, you know, you ever feel like you're getting electrocuted and you hold on to the chair, you know? I was like that. And, and, but then, cutting the muscle out, I couldn't feel it, you know, it was fine. But what I didn't know is I had this massive gap in my, in my gum. There was no gum there. It was gone. It was just a hole. And so, my sisters were waiting out there and I didn't want them to feel bad about what was coming because it wasn't, the shot wasn't fun. So I went out and smiled at them and said, it's not going to hurt a bit. <laughs> and they looked at me and just started crying. They just started crying. <laughs> you know, it wasn't the right thing to do to open my mouth. Should have went out and just went out the door. Um, but sometimes we embrace we have to embrace the unknown, don't we? We have to go into uncharted waters. If we're going to know him deeper, we have to go into the unknown. And we have to embrace things that maybe we don't want to. And then number 10 was this. Action beyond talk. Action beyond talk. And if you want to see that in Jesus, just read all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you'll see it everywhere yes he talked he shared the gospel that was his point but he always he always was a man who acted and he wasn't afraid to act and as christians i think in the world that's coming at us we better get courage and i i hope we act because the rest of the world is depending on us we have to make sure that people uh, don't get the wrath of God that's coming. And the only way is for us to be his hands and his mouth and his feet on this earth. And so we have to develop courage, just like he did. We need to be like him. And Lila's Trotter, I'll just tell you real quickly about her, okay? Uh, I'll, this lady, if you, you need to look her up. Um, they need to make a story about her. Uh, this is a picture of her that I took off the internet. But I'll just tell you briefly about her. Lila's Trotter was born in 19, 20, uh, 1853, and she died, I think, in 1938. Um, but... Her family was wealthy. She was born to a wealthy family. Her dad was a stockbroker in, in, in London. And um, when she was born, she was loved. She was cherished by her family. Um, they could give her anything, but she was a very undemanding little girl. And she loved to sit in her room and draw and paint. She became so good at that that the John Rustic, one of the best English art critics, at one point told her, her mom sent this guy her drawings and paintings, and John Rustic said she could have been the greatest artist the world had ever seen. 
and he had told her, if you continue on and paint, you will be immortal. There will never, ever be a painter like you. And instead, she said to him, well, I'm pursuing Jesus Christ, and my painting and drawing could get in the way of that. So I don't think I will. She decided to start a missions, well, she tried to join the missions board to go to Algeria, a Muslim country, and share the gospel. But she had heart problems, so they didn't accept her. They said she wasn't fit enough to go there. But she joined, she convinced two other women to go with her, and without speaking a word of Arabic, without knowing one person there, um, she went there. And she lived there, and she died there. And so she said that running a missions program in Algeria was like beating your head against the stone for two years. But they kept praying, and she said in her prayers, she always could hear God speaking to her about, you're, you're going to reach these people. You will reach these people. And so she started working with the little kids there, and through the little kids, got through the, to the moms. And then that mission has, has been in existence ever since. And it saved thousands of Muslims. And she was a woman who went from living, could have had all the comforts of the world, to living with almost no comforts. While having heart issues and not even knowing the language of the country that she went to. Dedicated her life there and died there. And um, look her up, Lilas Trotter. She, every one of those foundation stones of courage, she has. Every one of them. And I had examples, but um, we're done. So uh, let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you are our example. Lord, that you have a plan for us. And the plan is to be full of courage. And Lord, I pray that you work in each one of our lives, that we will live courageous lives for you, that we will stand against a culture who turns its back on you, and that we will stand just like the thief on the cross who spoke up for you on the cross. Lord, let us speak up for you in the world that, where we live. Lord, give us the courage. And we just thank you for your word that guides us every day. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm.